And as I mentioned earlier, today marks the first Sunday of the Advent season. Now, Advent is a long Christmas uh, tradition where candles are lit. You may have seen the Advent wreath and different colored candles. Different people do it in kind of different ways and different traditions. But each of these candles is to represent one of these themes, whether it's hope, whether it's joy, whether it's peace, whether it's love. And it's a time when um, we reflect on the coming of Jesus. You see, Advent, the word Advent, comes from the Latin word Adventus, which comes from the Greek word parousia. And parousia means the physical arrival of someone. Right? And the most accurate <laughs> translation of the Greek word parousia actually is the coming. The coming. And that word is actually used 17 times in the New Testament when talking about the second coming of Jesus. That Jesus is coming. He is the coming. The parousia is this remembering that even though Jesus was here on earth 2,000 years ago, that we as followers of Jesus today look forward and we long for the coming when he would return to set up his eternal kingdom. So Advent is, is kind of has this dual meaning. It's, we look at the past and we look at how people were, tr- were looking forward to the first coming and everything that happened with that. And we, on this side of history, look forward to the second coming. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I love this time of year. And I get it, this time of year can have a lot of hustle and bustle, it can have a lot of stress, it can have a lot of financial stress, it can have a lot of family stress, and all the different tensions that can come this time of year. But deep down, even despite all of those things, and trust me, I get it, I have stress in my life this time of year. How many of you have ever seen the movie Four Christmases? Anyone ever see that movie? It's a movie about this couple. They're together. They both come divorced from divorced families, and they have to try to visit four different families on Christmas morning. They stole that from my life. So if you want to rent that movie, watch that movie. That was like completely ripped off and stolen from my life. Okay, Christmas can be crazy. But it's this time to spend this, as, as a follower of Jesus, to look beyond the stuff that drives us crazy. And one of the things that I love doing this time of year is watching Christmas movies. I am a sucker for a good Christmas movie. I was just sitting in front of Netflix last night, and Netflix has all these made-for-Netflix kind of horrible, hallmark kind of quality Christmas movies. Last year, I think Danielle and I, we watched about one a day for 24 days and they just got sappier and sappier and sappier with every single one of them and I'm going well Danielle how come we're not watching my favorite Christmas movie she's like well what's your favorite Christmas movie I'm like Die Hard (laughs) and then she reminds me just because it takes place on Christmas doesn't mean it's a Christmas movie but I could argue that but I think the themes of John McLean are very you know very can carry over to the ministry and mission of Jesus but I'm not going to do that one. (laughs) So what we're going to do over these four weeks of Advent is looking at Christmas movies, exploring the themes of Advent, looking at the life and ministry 
of, of the people around the birth of Jesus and how we can use these stories to help us explore these themes. And today we're going to start with the first week of Advent, which is the theme of hope. The theme of hope. And in order to talk about hope, I want all of us to just think for a moment of a very simple, deep, and profound question. And the question is this. Have you ever thought of the impact just one life can have? Maybe if I phrased the question this way. Have you ever thought about the impact your life can have? Have you ever thought long and hard and deeply about the impact that your life here on earth can have? You see, that's the story from the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life. I love this movie. I'm a sucker. I'll admit it. I cry in almost every movie I watch. I cry in Star Wars. I cried in Return of the Jedi when Yoda died. I cried in The Force Awakens when, when Han Solo died. I cry. I get it. But this movie does something deep in my heart. As we look at the life of one man who believes his life doesn't have any true meaning. Right, the story is about a, a man named George Bailey. George Bailey grew up in a small town, small American town, in the first half of the 20th century. And more than anything, George Bailey wants to get out of this town. Right from a very young age, he dreams of exploring the world. He dreams of far away and exotic lands. I love the scene, even where as a young boy, he pulls out the copy of National Geographic. He's like, I've been accepted into the National Geographic Society as an explorer. Well, no, you paid the fee, and they give you the magazine. But it was just his innocence and his excitement about being an explorer for National Geographic, right from a very young age, wanting to see the world, wanting to live a life of huge impact, of huge influence, building skyscrapers and cities and bridges. But George also had a very huge heart for other people. At a very young age, he rescued his brother from drowning in a frozen lake. Years later, when his father died, who ran the local building and loan company to provide mortgages and money to people that the banks wouldn't touch, when his father died, George reluctantly took over the business from his father. When he did his due time, he did his four years, he did a season, he had kind of made arrangements with his brother that he would work for a while, then the brother would come back, and George could go off and get this great education and finally see the world. His brother had all these amazing opportunities, and George, out of love for his brother, stayed behind and allowed his brother to move forward. In a time of huge financial crisis in the town, when the banks were going crazy and people were rushing to the bank to withdraw all their money, George and his new uh, bride, Mary, take their honeymoon money and give it to their clients so that they could have cash in hand during a banking crisis. Again and again and again and again throughout this film, 
we see George giving to other people first in this small town. And his heart behind it is to ensure that people have another place to go to instead of having to run to the richest, most crabby man in the county, this guy named Potter, in his wheelchair being pushed around by his servant who's just trying to nickel and dime and get the most money out of everyone possible. And then one Christmas Eve, George's life comes to a complete crash. Again and again, he's fought through potential financial ruin. He's fought through hardship. He's fought through all of these things. And finally, his life on Christmas Eve gets to this point where he can't fight anymore. You see, he's lost $8,000. And back then, $8,000 was the (coughs) cash equivalent of two homes. For those of you who know the value of what your house is, imagine if the bank came knocking on your door and saying, right now, this moment, you've got to pay for two houses or you're going to jail. And everything comes crashing down. But watch how George responds in this clip. I need help. Through some sort of an accident, my company shortened their accounts. The bank examiner got there today. I've got to raise $8,000 immediately. Oh, that's what the reporters wanted to talk to you about. The reporters? Yes, they called me up from your building and loan. Oh, there's a man over there from the DA's office, too. He's looking for you. Please help me, Mr. Potter. Help me, won't you, please? Can't you see what it means to my family? I'll pay any sort of a bonus on the loan, any interest. If you still want the building and loan, I'm... George, could it possibly be there's a slight discrepancy in the books? No, sir, there's nothing wrong with the books. I've just misplaced $8,000. I can't find it anywhere. You misplaced $8,000? Yes, sir. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I I didn't want the publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow. (laughs) You ain't going to believe that one. What have you been doing, George? Um, Playing the market with the company's money? No, sir. No, sir, I haven't. Oh, is it a woman, then? Uh, You know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? (laughs) Not that it makes any difference to me, but why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. <laughs> I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> well, what kind of security would I have, George? You got any stocks? No, sir. Bond? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? Well, I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes. Uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500. And you asked me to lend you 8000 Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you with a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. (laughs) You're worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have 8000 You know why? Because they run you out of town on a rail. But I tell you what I'm going to do for you, George, since the uh, state examiner is still here... 
as a stockholder of the building and loan, I'm going to swear out a warrant for your arrest. Misappropriation of funds, manipulation, malfeasance. All right, George. Go ahead, go ahead. You can't hide in a little town like this. Yeah, Bill, this is Potter. show up. It's very easy for me, for you, for all of us to lose hope. Well, the Bible tells us a story about another man who's at the end of his rope. And it looks like his life isn't going the way it planned. He had it planned as well. And it's a man by the name of Joseph. And we can read about him in Matthew's gospel. I'm going to read a couple of verses here from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You see, Joseph is called a righteous man in these verses. This doesn't mean that Joseph was a self-righteous man. This doesn't mean that Joseph was walking around town acting holier than everybody else around him, pointing out other people's faults, pointing out other people's failures, saying, look how religious and good I am, and you don't measure up. That's not a righteous man. This definition of being a righteous man is someone whose heart is seeking after the will of God for his life. And even though he's not perfect, he loves God. He loves the laws of God. He loves the tradition of his people. And he wants to live a life that honors God. Being righteous here is having a right thought, a right behavior before who God is in God's law. And now Joseph was pledged to be married to a young girl named Mary. Now, the way marriage worked back then was very, is very, very different than how it works today. <laughs> Most of the time today, we find that special someone who gives us those warm, fuzzy feelings, and, you know, we kind of, we get an engagement ring, and we propose, you know, nowadays, eh, if you don't have the parents' permission, eh, so what, it doesn't matter, it's our lives, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, it doesn't work like that back then. <laughs> 
back then the wedding process was actually quite a long ordeal. In fact, you would become legally bound to your spouse a full year before you would come together. And when I mean come together, I'm talking about the wedding night. What the Bible in Hebrew calls yada, yada, yada. Knowing each other biblically. Okay? This whole year that you had to wait, that you were promised, that you are legally bound to your spouse. So this young man, Joseph, now legally bound to Mary and her family, discovers she's pregnant. And it's not some big, huge public thing. There might just be a little baby bump that's starting to show. The text doesn't tell us how, it found, how he found out, but it comes to him. She's pregnant, and as a righteous man, someone who is following God's will, he knows it's not his. Now again, here's the big differences between marriage and our culture and their culture. Um, we have choices, and we have you know, we can do what we want. You know, and if you want to get divorced, just go to the court, get divorced. You don't even need reasons anymore to get divorced. Back in Mary and Joseph's day, divorce for this type of um, sin, of sleeping with someone else, um, this type, um, it wasn't optional. Divorce was mandatory for Joseph. It's required by the law and the tradition of the elders. Because adultery brought about a, a type of spiritual impurity. And that spiritual impurity would be brought into Joseph's marriage, into Joseph's life, into Joseph's worship of God. And Joseph's dreams as a righteous man is to have a wife who loves God like he loves God, is to raise his kids in the teachings of the scripture, to live a life that brings honor and glory to God, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, that his home and his family would be known for that. Instead, life goes down a completely different path, a completely different direction. <laughs> And we could see how a righteous man can easily lose hope. Have you ever felt hopeless? When life is hard, when things go wrong, when plans don't work out, it's easy to lose hope. I have. There have been situations in my life where, and I can't publicly share what they are, but when people say, well, Pastor Kevin, you don't understand. You don't understand the pain I've gone through. I understand. I know the pain of abuse and substance abuse and all the different things that the world can throw at families. I know the pain of wondering how bills are going to be paid. Like The world is hard on so many families. And it's so easy for you and for me to lose hope and become hopeless. Sadly, in our story of It's a Wonderful Life, is George, as he loses all hope, decides, he believes the lie from Potter that he is worth more dead than alive. And he decides to end his own life. And he goes to a bridge to jump off the bridge and to jump into the freezing water and end his life. 
And instead of jumping into the, bri- into the cold water to end his life, he sees someone else is drowning. And he jumps into the water to save the man who's drowning. Watch this clip. Help! didn't have time to get some stylish underwear. Wife gave me this on my last birthday. <laughs> I passed away in it. Oh, Tom Sawyer's drying out too. You should read the new book Mark Twain's writing now. How did you happen to fall in? I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save George. You what? To save me? Well, I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Oh, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. Where do you come from? Heaven. I had to work quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you'd try to save me. You see, you did. And that's how I saved you. Uh, uh, Very funny. Your lip's bleeding, George. Yeah. I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer a little bit ago. Oh, no, 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 George. I'm the answer to your prayer. That's why I was sent down here. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, a mind reader or something? <laughs> well, who are you then? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. AS2. What, what, what's that? AS2. Angel, second class. See, when we feel hopeless, that's when God shows up. Exactly the same in the story of Joseph. In looking at his life, that is not going the way he wants. That it seems hopeless. He's made the decision as a righteous man to privately and quietly divorce Mary. He doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He, he, he's wrestling with the commandment of love people as you love yourself and the tradition of the Hebrew people in adultery to stone them. Kind of where you throw rocks at someone. It's like kind of hard to match these, align these two things up, and he's trying to figure that out. So he decides to divorce her privately. But then God shows up. Look in the text here as it continues in verse 20. It says, But after he, Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, 
and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in his time of hopelessness to remind him that God is still on the throne, that God is still in charge, that God has still got this. He has not been abandoned. He's not been forsaken. He doesn't have to struggle through this alone. That God is with him. And even though life is going in a completely different direction than what Joseph thought, the angel comes and proclaims something of huge and incredible importance to Joseph. You see, the people of Israel have been desperately waiting for this Messiah to come, who's been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And they've been waiting and longing and desperate for this hope to come. And God shows up to a man in his hopelessness to say, hope is coming. Hope is coming. The one who will save people from their sins. The ultimate plan to reunite a holy God with the people that he loves is about to take place. The ultimate act of love being poured out to mankind is about to take place. And Joseph gets a front row seat to be a part of it. Joseph wakes up from this dream and has a choice. Do I do what the angel said or not? Have you ever had a dream? And you're going, was that God? Or was that the pizza I had for dinner last night? How do you distinguish between the two? Because I've had some crazy dreams. And I'm not too sure waking up in the morning and doing what my dream told me to do is the best thing to do. Right? But as a righteous man, walking with God, knowing God, trusting God, he's already been growing up, learning to hear the voice of God in scriptures and in prayer. And because he knows God, and he recognizes the voice of God, he knows it's not the pizza. (laughs) He didn't probably have pizza. But he knows it's not what he had for dinner that night, giving him a bad dream. And he can trust it. And he chooses to put his hope, not in his circumstances, but to put his hope in the promise of God. And that's the same choice you and I have every single day as well. We can either put our hope in our circumstances, in our plans, in our financial portfolio, in our jobs, in our reputation, in how our ministry is doing, whatever that might be. We can put our hope in our circumstances, or we can put our hope in the promises of God. You see, George, in the movie, as he's talking to Clarence the angel, wishes that he was never born. That life would have just been easier. Everyone would have been better off if he was just never born. And Clarence the angel says, that's a great idea. And grants the wish. Okay, bad theology about angels. We're not going to get into all of that. Okay, But the angel grants the wish, and George gets to see his town with just one person gone. Does one life matter? Does your life matter? 
George gets to see what his town, what his family, what his community looks like without him. This quaint little American town becomes this place of strip clubs and bars and, and gambling casinos and all of these things. People who had homes were now living in slums. People who had decent jobs are now begging on the street. It was funny, I was just actually watching this movie again on Thursday evening, and all I could think of, this is the exact same movie as Back to the Future Part 2, when Marty McFly kind of goes back, and George McFly was killed by Biff, and then Marty goes to 1984 and sees like what happened to his quaint little town. It's like a total chaos. You see, Hollywood's got no new ideas, right? They just keep recycling everything. But um, George gets to see this. He gets to see with his own eyes the impact that his life has. Sadly, Scripture doesn't show us that Joseph gets to see how his life played out. In fact, after kind of the birth of Jesus and then Jesus being a young boy in the temple, we don't hear about Joseph ever again. Scholars believe it's because he passed away. But the impact of one decision, found in verse 24, when when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We can put our hope in our circumstances, or we can put our hopes in the promises of God. You see, you and I, as followers of Jesus in our, in our world today, we hold on to a great hope. We don't expect circumstances to change the world. We don't expect government to change the world. We don't expect policy to change the world. We don't expect religious rules and traditions to change the world. Our hope is in Jesus. That Jesus, and only Jesus, has the power to change a human heart. (laughs) To take us out of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. To transform us, as the Bible teaches, into a new creation. Our hope is that. (laughs) And our ultimate hope is what we read in the very back of this book. That one day Jesus will return. And he will wipe every tear from every eye. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sin, no more darkness. Because the light of the world has come. And because you and I cling to that hope, we are called to live lives that bring that hope to other people. Because we have hope, we give hope. And that's the big idea I want you to remember today. Because we have hope, we give hope. Do we bring hope into our workplace? Do we bring hope into our school? Do we bring hope into our community, into our family? Do you bring hope into your church because we have we have hope in Christ we give hope 
wherever we go. Do you know what your life can accomplish as a man, woman, boy, or girl living a life of hope that people can see and people can experience and people can be changed by it? As followers of Christ, we carry the message of great hope. We can read about that in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when George Bailey sees what the world is actually like without him, he runs back to the bridge and cries out to the angel Clara to say, he changed his mind, he wants to live. He has seen that his life, that he had considered insignificant, a life that he considered unimportant, was actually a wonderful life. And that his life changed so many people's lives. His life brought hope to people who had none. And as Potter pointed out, you can't run back to the, you've been helping these people your whole life and it's not accomplished anything. They would throw you under the bus if they could. They'd steal every nickel from you if they could. But George Bailey learned the difference of living a life of hope when the people that he had helped out his whole life showed up to help him in his darkest time. Let's watch this clip. Now get this. It's from London. Oh. Mr. Gower cabled you need cash. Stop. My office instructed to advance you up to $25,000. Stop. Oh. Hee-haw and Merry Christmas, Sam Wainwright. Oh. Telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother George. 
the richest man in town. God, we are grateful for this time of year when we can reflect on the hope that we have in Jesus. That we can be reminded that we have a great hope. That Jesus has come, that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead, that he ascended back to heaven, and that he will one day return in power and authority. That one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Father, as we just pray for a moment, all of us are going through different things at this time of year. Some of us are, we're just laughing, everything is great and it's awesome. I pray that our joy would be contagious to everybody around us. But others are dealing with struggles intentions this time of year help us to cling to your hope that the hope that we have in Jesus is what matters and the hope that we have received is the hope that we can give and the life that we live can be a wonderful life as we draw closer to you God you know and maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching this online and you're not a hundred percent sure you know, about God and this whole Jesus thing. But I just want you to know that, you know, following Jesus isn't some big, huge religious tradition thing. It's about just knowing that there's something off in our hearts. Just knowing that there's this God who loves you. And that he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to be religious. He doesn't have this list of all these commands that he's expecting you to keep. Be this good boy, be this good girl. And if you clean up your life, then God will love you. That's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is God loves you. He wants to bring hope into your life. He wants to bring hope into your circumstances. And it's done by just simply surrendering our heart to him. And you can follow him real easily just by believing in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead. Confess it with your tongue. Tell someone that you're believing this. And the hope that is promised to all of God's children becomes a promise to you as well. 